This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I'm Frank Morano. I've always said that even if you have the worst parents in the world, you should be grateful to them. Because, quite frankly, without your parents, biological, without your parents, you would not be here. So, honestly, I think even if you have, and again, I realize this is easy for me to say because I had... um, very loving, supportive parents, and still do, thankfully. But if you have the worst parents in the world, neglectful, even abusive, I think they should be entitled to a certain amount of respect. Because if you've made it this far, two things have occurred. One, you were born, right? And two, at least in your early years, assuming your biological parents did play some role in raising you, which I realize for a lot of people that may not be the case, they at least made sure that you had enough nutrition and clothing to, uh, and all the other things, shelter to not die, to make it to adulthood if you're an adult. So I've always really thought less of people that bash their own parents. Now, as I've heard more and more stories, I've backed off of that position a little bit because I've just heard so many stories about parents that do really horrible things to their children and adult children. And it's really sad. So I try to uh, practice what I preach in not judging people. I don't like to judge people even though, you know, I routinely do that with commendations and denunciations. But that's generally my philosophy, is that you should not bash your parents ever. I mean, I think there's a reason that's so prominently displayed in the Ten Commandments. And I think that absolutely applies posthumously. I think once you have a parent that passes away, even if they are not a good parent, You should make an effort not to bash them, not to publicly or privately slam them, especially once they're dead. You know why? Because once they're dead, they can no longer defend themselves. They can no longer offer their side of the stories. And a lot of times there is a second side of the story in almost every instance. So I was really disappointed in this obituary out of Michigan. Um, A woman by the name of Gail Harvey Heckman put in an obituary 
for her mother, who died on December 12th. She describes her mother in the obituary as violent, hateful, and cruel. This is in the obituary, okay? Um, she accused her mother, Linda Lernell, Linda Lernell, Harvey Cullum Smith Stull, it's a lot of names for one person, my goodness, of condoning sexual assault against her. Now, that's no, that's no small thing. As well as lying about who her biological father was. Also a pretty big deal. This is according to the Sturgis Journal. She revealed so many skeletons in the closet that the publisher removed the obituary from the Three Rivers news site when readers complained about its shocking contents. So they asked Miss Heckman, who wrote this about her mother. She said, well, honestly, I wanted to write it for myself because I wanted to clear my name. For 24 years and before that, my mother has had to come up with a reason as to why her daughter isn't in her life that doesn't make her look like a monster. I had to reclaim my name. Heckman pulled no punches in the piece about her not-so-dearly departed mother. This is what the print obituary says. As a mother, Lernell was violent, hateful, and cruel. She physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally, and financially abused Gail. That's her daughter who paid for this obituary. It also names one alleged abuser, an ex-husband of her mom's, whom the journal did not identify. Lernell accused Gail of trying to steal her husband and proceeded to beat her senselessly. Gail and her family forgive Lernell and hope that she has found peace. Well, doesn't sound very much like forgiveness, does it? <laughs> I don't think so. When you forgive someone, I mean, maybe it's my lack of understanding of forgiveness. But when you forgive someone, I don't think you should dig up all of the worst things about them. All of the things that caused you to be estranged from her or them in the first place, and then reiterate them in print. No, you move on. And it's Again, I can't tell you how often I think of that Ed Koch axiom about not holding grudges. Because the grudges, they do very little to make the life of the person that you're holding the grudge against worse. They're a burden on you. And again, I'm no... Paragon of virtue, not by a long shot. But I try not to hold grudges with anybody. Someone screws me over, I make an effort to get over it. Okay? But the obituary concludes, Lernal will not, this is the mother, Lernal will not be missed by Gail or her family. They all understand the world is a much better place without her. The world is a much better place without her. This is what this woman's obituary says. Heckman said she found it cathartic to pen the vicious obituary. Quote, I wasn't trying to be hateful. I genuinely don't have any hate. I am angry. I don't understand 
if we don't talk about this, how are we supposed to be how are we supposed to break the cycle of trauma, especially generational trauma? Well, maybe you do this any other place in any other manner than her obituary. Maybe you write a book. Maybe you write a journal, a detailed journal, getting this all out of your system. Maybe you uh, go on public access television and rant at a camera. I believe, and look, I'm not doubting anything that this woman is saying, but I believe to do this on someone's obituary who birthed you, I view it as not only totally disrespectful, but incredibly unhealthy. I don't think anybody should do this. And again, I don't care if she did abuse her daughter. I don't think this is appropriate for a daughter to put in her obituary. And this obituary ran in the print edition of The Three Rivers. They took it down from the website after all the complaints. But um, Gail Heckman said she was disappointed that they pulled the obituary, adding that she and her husband only called the publisher twice. She added that many people have reached out to her with their own stories of abuse. Well, there's the other side of that. Maybe by putting this out there in the obituary, maybe it comes, it helps other people that have dealt with this sort of thing. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I would absolutely never say this about, I mean, again, it's easy for me to say, to say because I love my parents and they were not abusive. But honestly, if I had a family member that was difficult or abusive or hateful or violent, I would never put this in their obituary. Never. I think this is horrible. It's funny. I have a friend, close friend, whose father is um, you know, not doing well. He's, uh, he's, he's probably terminally ill. And he believes that his father was not a good father. He believes his father was physically and emotionally abusive to him and to his sibling. And now that his father's going through all this, he's incredibly supportive. He's there for his mom and trying to be as supportive as as anything because in his view, you know, while he recognizes that his father had his own demons that he was battling, that his father was a product of how he was raised. And, you know, there's a reason people act the way they do, Right. So to have this woman's legacy to the world be this obituary where she's slammed by her own daughter, I don't know. I don't like this one bit. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Tony, I, I, I gather you, you got along pretty well with your dad, and it seems like you still have a good relationship with your mom, right? Yeah, um, but... You know- as anybody, you know, we had our ups and downs. Sure. And um, before my father passed, um, a year a year before that, him and I had a little exchange of words. And when I when I realized um, that he was getting sick, I put the BS aside. And I remember him and I talking. He said, "Well, I'm glad that you and I put our differences differences aside. Tomorrow's never promised." You know, yeah, he he made me mad, drove me up the wall, but at the end of the day, he was still my father. Uh, I, and I think that's such a healthy thing. So what do you think about this obituary, what this woman did? That was uncalled for. You know, there's a time and place for everything. You know, 
Okay, if, if there was drama and issues, okay, I get it, but don't put it to let everybody know about it. It's, it's similar to that book that um, Joan Crawford's daughter wrote, Mommy's Mommy Right, Dearest. right. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That's exactly right. Even that I can kind of deal with, right? I mean, you're trying to make money. You're trying to deal with your grief. At least she didn't put it in her obituary in the case of Yeah, that, that was just crash, man. That you was know. just tacky. Uh, but thank you, Tony. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to uh, comment. You know, it's funny. On Christmas Eve, you know, I end up seeing a lot of my relatives that I only see around the ho- the holidays. And I saw my cousins, uh, Anthony and Diana, and they're my second cousins. And they, um, well, you know, they're wonderful. I, and I wish I was closer with them. But I really didn't see them when we were growing up because their grandmother was in this feud with her siblings, which included my Uncle Carmine and my Uncle Jimmy, who were the living Murano relatives at the time. And I just think, and I say this to them often, I just can't imagine all of the wasted energy and time that was put in this feud. My friend Vinny, his grandfather, lived in the same building as his brother. They did not speak for 35 to 40 years. Lived in the same building. They paid bills together. The wives would pass notes. You owe this for heat. You owe this for electricity. 35 to 40 years living in the same building. They didn't speak. I Can you imagine? I just, now again, I don't know if in those cases there were instances of uh, violence or the things that are being alleged in this obituary. I think it's just horrible. Horrible. All right, tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Hey, so I was looking through the year-end podcast statistics to try and get good ideas for uh, categories about what we should do for the year-end awards here, which I think maybe we'll call the FMEs or the Osamis. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find something. What do you think, and this is podcast and not live listenership, what do you think the most listened to interview that we had this year was? If you were to guess of anything, I'd tell you what my guess would have been. My guess would have been Robert F. Kennedy Jr. No, he was number two. A lot of people downloaded it, you know, thousands upon thousands downloaded it, but he was number two. The number one most downloaded interview that we had this year was Colonel Douglas McGregor. Talking about, I think, Ukraine. Kennedy was number two. You know who was number three? Another interview with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Douglas McGregor, apparently, I mean, I guess there's a reason Tucker Carlson put him on television so often. He has this whole big following that apparently uh, they all um, download these interviews. Uh, Number four was uh, George Santos. Number five was very interesting. Marianne Pizzatola, president of the New York City Organization of um, Public Employees, talking about the change to the New York City retirement. Number six was another interview with Douglas McGregor, who uh, this has been a reminder to me that I should probably invite him back. Number seven was Brian Tuohy, author of The Fix is In, about the showbiz manipulation of sports. Number eight was uh, Tom Likas the uh, radio talk show host. Number nine was Gerald Salente from the Trends Research Institute. And number 10 was Dave Slinky Bender 
former drug dealer turned um, whatever he's doing now, a high-end party promoter. So he was an interesting guy. I remember that interview. And uh, he, his name, I think, came up recently in looking at some of these sex parties that were going on out in the area of um, the Long Island serial killer. So maybe that a lot, some of those downloads are recent because of the interest in the Gilgo Beach killings. I don't know. But uh, that was interesting. There was one other story related to parenting that um, I wanted to comment on. Let me oh, – no, no, no. Let me get to some of these calls here. And then if there's time, I want to go through this story out of Riverhead, which I thought was interesting. 800-848-9222. Jeffrey is in Queens. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Frank. Uh, I think you just mentioned the showbiz uh, manipulation of sports. What, what, what was that author's name? Uh, Brian Tuey. Brian, how do you spell Chewy? T U O H Y. T U O H Y. Thank you. Also, I was one of the Douglas McGregor um, interested parties for sure. Yeah, I got to have him back. Yeah. I'll, I'll reach out and, to him uh, again. Thank you. And listen, I'm on the uh, cartel of the Ivy League. Well, you know, first of all, I apologize. I, I, I've got to go back and listen to, to your interview. I didn't really care for your guest, but um, I, I don't want to judge. I, I didn't give it a full listen. But it does touch on a subject I want to pose to you for, you for you to maybe make it interesting to you, and then you'll do a show on it in the future, which is that the Ivy League is just an example of America's, I don't want to say, okay, problem, I'll say problem, which is that there are, Private school, private colleges. I mean, there's a, there's a whole hierarchy, stratification of education, right? Mm-hmm. So public colleges, uh, you know, two-year, four-year, then private, uh, you know, and private high schools and private finishing. You know, that whole, the whole, that whole segregation, or I mean, class, class realities. So the Ivy League is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's the, the the richest, but it's all about people getting guaranteeing them tracks in life to get certain financial benefits. Yeah, jobs. yeah, you're right, Jeffrey. You're you're right about that. I I don't I don't know why you didn't like the uh, guest, but you're right. You know, Joe Biden is a big believer in Ivy League education. He told both of his sons and his grandchildren, and this is documented, that there is a river of power in this country. And it flows through the Ivy League. And that's why every young person in his life, including his sons and his, um, you know, his other relatives, he is encouraged to pursue an Ivy League education. So, I mean, I think there's something to this. I mean, I think that's what you're getting for the money here. Uh, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Ed is on Long Island. Hi, Ed. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm just peachy. Thank you. I'm a clinical social worker for 50 years, and I do a lot of grief work. And I disagree with you. I understand why she wrote that in the obituary. Uh, I think people that have been abused need to empower themselves. And it was her way, my sense, of dealing with the uh, all the um, abuse that she had. So I've worked with people that have gone, when their loved one dies and they were abused, they say to me, Ed, I am glad that my father, my mother, whoever died, because they abused me. They negated me as a human being. So I think that her writing that obituary, you know, you were raised, uh, thank God, by good parents. You had good upbringing. I understand why people are able to do that. 
And I, and I think that uh, it's okay to do that. It's a way of dealing with their grief. Ed, well, I, I'm sure it is a way of dealing with their grief. I totally understand why people would come to you and share with you their uh, their view of them being glad their parents are gone because of yes, all the trauma yes. they've gone through. I just think that putting it in print for the public to consume, especially when the person that they're writing about can't defend themselves from the grave. I don't know. To me, it just strikes me as a little bit, uh, I don't know, a, a little bit bushly. Well, I'll tell you why she, uh, she uh, does that. I appreciate you giving me the time. Yeah. She does that probably because she wants people who might be idolizing this person or thinks this was a great person to know the truth. And it's and you're right, that person is no longer here. But she's the one that was subject to abuse, both sexual and otherwise. And I think that, look, she has a right to express her feelings, and it's her way of dealing with her grief. All right. Well, thank you for that, Ed. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Yes. Good morning. Morning. I would like to amplify what your last caller just said, and I'm speaking from experience, okay? You know, my mother and I weren't speaking uh, when she died, and there are multiple reasons, which I'm not going to get into, but, you know, to this day, there are things that she did that I'm still suffering because of, and I finally forgave her. She died in 2019, but... It took a while, and it's hard for me to say nice things about her because my mom, like many uh, bad parents, was a chameleon. She would act one way when other people were around and then so completely different when it was just us or, or, or you know, family members. And the outside world doesn't know what my mom was really like. And people will say, oh, how could you say bad things about someone who's dead? Well, you know what? Maybe that's the only way to, to, to tell the world what this person was really like. But so many people are so good at putting on a mask and the children who suffer. I mean, I'll just tell you one thing. I was accepted to St. John's University when I got out of high school. My mother would not fill out the financial aid form and that prevented me from going to college, okay? That affected my entire life. I didn't go mm. to later and then it was much more difficult for me. You know, that is something that I'm still wrestling with because my life would have been totally different. If, if, and I still don't know why my mom did that. And, you know, I, I won't speak ill of her except for what I'm saying to you right now. But, you know, it, it's something that I understand why she did that. I wouldn't have done that. You can post something on Facebook just for yourself to see. Maybe she should have done that instead of an, a, a, a newspaper. Right. But I think I mean, it's I, important. I, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I think, you know, just because you and I, I think we're, we're all out here seeking the truth, and this is this woman's truth, and I don't think it's healthy to keep it in if you feel that badly about what was done to you. I mean, it's hard for me to talk to you right now about what I went through because, you know, people don't understand, and, you know, people who have at least one loving parent don't realize how lucky they are. They really don't. And if you do have at least one loving parent, you should be really grateful because there are those of us out there that didn't have that. Well, I appreciate so. that, David. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, obviously, for what you've gone through. I just think using an obituary to publicly air a familial grudge and to explain your side of the grudge when the person can't respond even if everything that this person said is true, 
it just strikes me as classless. I don't like it at all. I don't like it in keeping with what everything Ed said and everything David said. It's just, and again, David is right and Ed is right. You know, it's easy for me to say, you know, my childhood was, you know, I don't think anybody's childhood is a bowl of cherries, especially, you know, divorced parents is, is, is challenging. It's got its fair share of drama, but nobody did anything that was um, abusive or anything less than loving. So maybe it's easier for me to uh, throw stones from the uh, from the parameter that I'm in rather than the glass house that a lot of other people would be in. I just don't think it's right. I just I find it so objectionable. For this time, I will continue to take your calls in a moment. But Noam Layden is back. We'll chat with him about what's in the news straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. After the hour, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, very, very pleased to be here and reunited with the uh, best newsman in the radio business. Stand by for the other side of midnight's news. And its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Noam, it's great to have you back. Good to see you. Uh, thank you very much, Frank. It's good to be back. I heard you talking about this earlier. This is the time of year where people return the gifts they right. don't want. But there are all these fees now attached that the, were not there before. The days of shoppers sending back these unwanted or uh, ill-fitting items for free are basically over as the holiday gift-giving season gives way to this returning season. More than four in five merchants now charging customers a fee to ship back that return 
um, which they didn't do in the past. It was always you could uh, – that was the big sell was you could get the item shipped free, and if you didn't like it, you could send it back for free. That is gone. Amazon, of course, being one of the biggest ones. Amazon now will charge customers a buck if they go to a UPS store to return an item instead of dropping it off at Whole Foods, which, of course, they own, or Kohl's, which they own part of as well. Uh, Zara, Macy's, Abercrombie & Fitch, J. Crew, H&M, they've also added shipping fees for mail-in returns. Uh, Abercromb- Abercrombie is charging $7 fee to return items. Um, and it's all because it's just cutting into their bottom line in a big way they didn't anticipate early on in when, you know, online shopping became so big. Uh, analysts estimate that companies lose around 50 percent of their margin on returns when they factor in the cost of selling the item as well as processing the item. So uh, if it's a hundred dollar item and someone returns it, it costs them about twenty seven dollars to handle that return. And so no more will you get free shipping when you return that item. You're going to have to pay for it. So if you are one of those people who is a chronic returner, um, there's a lot of them out there. This is going to cost you something. It's similar to what happened. Do you remember this? And this is still a big deal for some of the big stores like uh, Target and Kohl's and um, stores along those lines that have these uh, whole idea of you can always return something, right? doesn't matter what it is. You can bring it back. Right. We will give you store credit or even That was cash. Overstock's thing for a long time. They made that their, their uh, kind of lane, that they would take back anything. Right. And so many huge retailers followed their lead, and uh, that attracted a lot of customers. But what they found out, and this is what's happening here, too, is that you'd find these chronic shoppers who would return everything. So much so, I know somebody. And why, maybe, do they, you know, why do they do that? Why do they return Because everything? they're crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, I know somebody, a neighbor of mine, it got so bad with Target that she was returning so many items that they banned her from shopping at Target. No, and that was not unusual, by the way. That had started to happen in a big way. They sent out the warning and said, if you become one of these chronic returners, we will, uh, we notice you because it's all in the computer system and we'll ban you from the store. And she was banned. Wow. So, yeah. so anyway, it's going to cost you to return those items this Christmas. Are they expecting this will lead to a decline in the number of returns? This no. Year? No. No, okay. because people just love the convenience of not having to leave their house. Yeah, that's I get not that. going to change. I get that. Yeah. Are you returning anything? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, okay. I didn't get a lot though. No, yeah, right. Me, yeah. me neither. But yeah. you know, I have to return some things that I got for other people. But like, my, oh, oh, that you know, they didn't I, like. I, I, you know, I tried to get my wife a. I know her battery for her laptop is is uh, spotty and it, it, you know, it doesn't have the charging power that it used to, and so I got her a replacement battery for her laptop. But unbeknownst to me. It's, you know, her laptop is made by Apple, and so she only wants to use batteries that are made by Apple so it doesn't screw up her computer. Or right. So I got to return that one. And then I got a personalized gift for someone, and I misspelled the name of one of the people on the couple, so I'm, I have to deal with that. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And then I heard about one of your relatives got a vacuum cleaner yeah, as a well, present. Not this year, but I think that oh. was last year. That yeah. was my sister in law. I'm sure I think that went she's... over well. <laughs> <laughs> They're still married. Well, that's okay, good. I guess uh, they yeah. got through it. Good for them. Uh, You know, even behind bars, they get into the holiday spirit for Christmas. So you might say, what has happened to some of the famous names did they get to celebrate Christmas this year? Uh, One of them being, let's see, we'll start with R. Kelly. These are all people who recently Mm -hmm. went to prison. R. Kelly, uh, you'll remember, found guilty of sex trafficking and racketeering in 2021. I could go on and on of child pornography. The guy deserves to no doubt be behind bars. And he is in uh, a federal correctional complex 
in Butner down in North Carolina. I've been to Butner. Uh, you have? Yes, a couple times. And uh, there's some tough hombres down there in Butner. It's also home to a medical facility, which is why a lot of older prisoners end up there. It's where Bernie Madoff That's right. went. It's where uh, Carmine Persico, uh, the head of the Colombo crime family, went. It's... Uh, you know, but yeah, it's a it's a, no joke that prison. It isn't, but when it comes to Christmas, it did get festive for R. Kelly. Uh, his meal on Christmas Day consisted of Cornish hens, cream of broccoli, cornbread dressing, mashed potatoes, gravy, sweet potatoes, glazed carrots, dinner rolls, and pecan pie. Yeah, it doesn't sound bad at all. Actually, <laughs> yeah. So for somebody who's living a hard knock life, that sounds pretty good, no doubt. Uh, Josh Duggar, you know, he's the uh, was the star of Nineteen Kids and Counting. Mm-hmm. That, Famous reality show. Uh, he had a whole bunch of porn stuff going on against him, spending 12 years behind bars. Uh, he also got Cornish 10, mashed potatoes, chicken gravy, dinner rolls, cheese, and um, rice casserole, and assortment of holiday pies. That was his meal right, okay. on Christmas Day. Uh, Joe Exotic, of course, you remember him from Tiger King. Uh, he's in uh, jail for uh, trying to hire men to... F- Murder a fellow big cat collector. Remember Carol Baskin? That was the big show while we were all locked down uh, during COVID. Did you watch COVID. that show? I did. I watched the first couple of episodes. I hated it. I, I And everyone was talking about it. Everyone was obsessed with it. I had friends recommending it. They're all home. I disliked everyone involved with the show, and I found it very unrelatable. I, I didn't finish it even. Yeah, I think some of the obsession was just you had nothing else to do. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah that's right. Uh, he also, uh, let's see, he had bread stuffing, macaroni and cheese, carrots, chicken gravy, holiday pies. And one last one, Her- Harvey Weinstein, uh, of course, uh, found guilty in mm-hmm. 2020 to fi- uh, felonies, uh, rape, a whole bunch of things, 20 years in prison. Uh, he had baked chicken breast, seasoned chicken gravy, steamed white rice, steamed kernel corn, dinner rolls, margarine, and to top it off, an ice cream sundae. All right. Well, I mean, it is Christmas. What, what are the is, – this is not something that these guys are getting because they're famous. No, everybody in Everybody's that prison got it. Yeah. Okay. No special treatment yeah. for no, no, no. anybody else. All but right. an ice cream sundae, I mean, that really – you know, that's pretty special. Hey, I, I – I, the one thing that everybody that I've known that has gone to prison complains about is the food – I'm guessing it's not the kind of ice cream sundae that you're getting at Serendipity or or, uh, Cold Stone Creamery. I'm guessing it's pretty bare bones. No, it's not Ben & Jerry's. The ice cream is not Ben & Jerry's. It's something much lower priced. Uh, One last story. Um, Oh, you're a child of divorce, correct? absolutely. So there has been this trend over the last 10 years um, where couples do this divorce a whole lot differently to keep their kids uh, together and the families together as much as they can. It's called bird nesting. Have you heard of this bird nesting trend? I have. I dated a woman who was divorced and did this. And she was – this is many years ago. It was about a decade ago roughly. Maybe, maybe not quite that long ago. I don't know. But um, I thought it was ridiculous when she told me about what this was. I think it's it's absurd. Tell, tell us about so this. So bird nesting is is where the couple will hold on to their house and the kids will stay there. And instead of the kids every week going to their parent at a different place, the parent comes to the house. So they have the house and then the couple will usually share an apartment outside the house. So in other words, one week it's dad lives in the apartment and mom's home. The following week, dad goes back to the house and mom moves into the apartment. And um, there's all kinds of information now and uh, uh, research to suggest 
that this is beneficial to the kids who lots of times feel like they're thrown around from house to house because they have to see mom and dad, whereas now they can stay in the house and mom and dad are the ones who caused the problem in the first place. That's the thought anyway. And that the kids get to go about their lives not as messed up as it may be, whereas you're feeling one week you're here, one week you're there. Um, that can be tough and rough on the kids. Uh, and what's interesting is this started a while ago. The, the number of couples came up with this idea. But now we're f- hearing from uh, divorce lawyers in New York and across the country, for that matter, who say there's more and more couples who say they like the idea of this. Even though they hate each other and the thought that they're sharing this outside apartment and they're sharing a house, that it's beneficial for the kids that they're ready to go for it. So this would require this couple, this divorced couple, to essentially maintain three residences, right? Two residences, well, their house. No, the, what a lot of these couples are they, doing they is you, sharing the apartment. Uh, I, yeah, My goodness. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this is exactly what you want is uh, once you're divorced is to continue worrying about running two households right. as well as raising a child with, with, a, uh, w- with your partner who you've made the decision to go through a, a split from. Yeah, I, I mean, what you won't be shocked at is wealthier people don't have a problem with this because oh, sure. they go to – they'll have two apartments – and then the house. So they go back to their own apartment. But most people don't have that kind of money. Well. And so they've come up with this deal where they'll share that apartment. They don't live in it at the same time. And um, they and they say the biggest problems they've run into are not big ones, by the way, is um, figuring out what chores need to be done and how to clean both residences. Those are the biggest complaints by far from couples who are nesting. Well, look, I'm a big believer of whatever works for an individual person, an individual couple, an individual family, I'm not going to judge, but uh, I don't know. It strikes me as a little bizarre. Yeah. Honestly. All right. Well, thank you, Noam, mm-hmm. for your service. And now you know the rest of the story. So I, yesterday, was invited, um, well, yeah, yesterday, to my cousin Deanna's annual post-Christmas brunch. She invited us last year. And really, it's just, she lives in my neighborhood. She's a couple blocks away. So I went, my wife went, we brought Carmine, and uh, my brother Alex came, my sister Claudia came, and it's Deanna and her husbands. So or it's just two, four, six adults and one two-year-old. So we go there today, and I bring the champagne that Gnome Laden was kind enough to gift me on the air Friday. Nice bottle he gave me. And it's uh, a bottle that I've never had before. It was... Kind of a blend of three different types of uh, of grapes is, a, a, I think, a Pinot Noir grape and a, a diff- different thing. It's a combination of red and white grapes, but it was you know a sparkling white wine. So I bring it because we're going there for brunch and she's making mimosas and everything. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to mix this with the with the orange juice. It's you know because you should only make mimosas with a cheap champagne, nothing better than a Corbel, right? And anything else should not be mixed. It should be consumed on its own. So they said, okay, well, it's all right. We have a bottle of uh, Corbel that we just went out and picked up. So I said, great. Now, I was thinking everybody would go through the Corbel quickly and we could work our way to the Gnome Champagne. And I kept referring to the Gnome Champagne. My wife says, you you sound like uh, you sound like you're describing a gift that a gnome gave you. I said I I am. He did give it to me, and she said no 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 a gnome g n o m e not uh, not gnome laden. And I said well 
whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, Gnome's not that tall anyway. So we, uh, my sister Claudia is not drinking because she had a lot to drink on Christmas Eve. My uh, wife has one mimosa. Alexander has maybe two, maybe three. And Deanna and Joe, they have one mimosa each. And it was really difficult for them to finish off this first bottle of champagne. But, you know, I was not going to bring the gnome champagne there and not, not at least try it. So I kind of kept nudging everyone along. Finish the gnome champagne. Finish the gnome champagne. I mean, finish the, uh, the non-gnome champagne. They finally finish it. And then we pop open the gnome champagne. Now, I had one glass because at this point I had three or four mimosas. I'm ready for a nap practically. So I had one glass. I'm not sure if anybody else had any. But I hope that after we left because we went back at, you know, to our house for that Carmine could nap. And I think I needed a nap as well. I hope they finish that gnome champagne yet. Otherwise, it would be so wasteful if only one person actually my brother Alex had a glass too but if only the two of us had a glass or two so that was a strategic misstep on my part we had the gnome champagne chilled and don't let that happen to you consider carefully what kind of champagne you're bringing to brunch this weekend obviously this weekend is New Year's Eve Eve and New Year's Eve so a lot of people are going to be looking for opportunities to use that champagne. Still working on a good reciprocal gift for Gnome. I heard he was sick yesterday, so I wasn't sure I was going to see him today, but uh, we're still working on that. That's on my agenda for tomorrow. All right, 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on anything we have covered thus far. Sarah is in Wisconsin. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Still sitting shiva for Kenneth, but anyway... Mm. uh, just to comment on the, there isn't enough time to go into the whole obituary thing, but you did bring up a point one time where you, you have friends, where you are friends with the mother and the son, and they become estranged. And it's very difficult because you're, you like them both. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I remember one yeah. example specifically, but there's a couple yeah, that I can think of, yeah. Yes. Well, that's exactly the situation that I'm in, and I have no idea other than the fact that my son married someone, because my son and I were incredibly close his whole life. Okay, right up to the wedding day, and then all of a sudden I lost my son. And that's how I describe it now. Um, And he got married in 2009. Been through everything, have never heard from my son. Never. Through a cancer deal, to the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. And my friends who who have known me, for 45 years, knew me all through the pregnancy, all through my motherhood with my son. No one can believe it, all right? But especially me. (laughs) Well, you just come to deal with it. Well, apart from that, one thing I love about you, many things, is the way you parent. Because that, the way you are with Carmine is the way I was with Matthew his whole life. But I want to give you one piece of parenting advice that served me well. I'm going to try to do it and not lose it completely. When I was, when he was very young, I happened to learn how to say I love you um, for deaf, you know, for deaf people. All right. And it's very simple, very simple, three motions. Okay. And I taught him that when he was probably four. So every time I took him from, from then on, 
to some place where he was anxious or whatever, he would turn to me and I would give him the I love you. The beautiful thing about it is you can do it in a crowd and no one knows what you're doing, so you're never embarrassing your child, but they come to expect it. And it was so comforting for him. And I'm telling you, Frank, that started in preschool, and I did it the day he got on the bus to go to Iraq. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a simple thing that you can learn. And he will turn to you and, and look. And then I added a thumbs up after that, a firm thumbs up. So it was a very simple, nonverbal, I love you, thumbs up. He knew exactly what I meant. I knew exactly how he was feeling when I did it. And it's just, it was such an effective, lovely tool. And the irony is I did it before the two of us walked down the aisle on his wedding day when he showed me to my seat. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. I I mean, uh, again, when you've uh, shared with me your situation before, I I feel, you know, just awful that... um, that uh, your son has chosen to uh, exclude you from his life, and uh, and it definitely sounds like your your daughter-in-law played a, a role in that. But um, I, I feel uh, just awful about that, and I'm hoping that um, you know one day that you guys have some sort of a, a reunion, Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Yes, yes, thanks. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. By the way, you know what's happening in five days? S- Mickey Mouse, at least the Mickey Mouse as the as depicted in Steamboat Willie, is entering the public domain. That means if you want to put the Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse in your film, or if you want to just go out on the street and sell copies of Steamboat Willie, you can do that. You can reproduce Steamboat Willie anywhere you want. You can put him in movies. You can put him in a horror movie. You can put him in a pornographic motion picture. You could do whatever you want with Steamboat Willie just the way that you are now able to do with other famous public domain characters like Robin Hood, Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, um, Frankenstein's Monster, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Hercules. That's why they have that Winnie the Pooh horror movie. But you know who is not in that Winnie the Pooh horror movie? Tigger! Because Tigger is not in the public domain. But as of January 1st, he will be. So you can do whatever you want with Tigger. And I keep telling my son this because my son likes Mickey Mouse. He drinks from a Mickey cup. He's got Mickey Mouse pajamas. He watches Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse from time to time. And I keep saying, Carmine, in just a few days, you'll be able to make your own um, Mickey Mouse cartoon, at least the Mickey Mouse as depicted in Steamboat Willie. And nobody can come after us. He's in the public domain. We can do whatever we want with him. And he seems completely unimpressed. Basically, he just says, Mickey Mouse. That's it. That's it. He doesn't have any reactions. Not excited about it. It's not causing him to brim with all sorts of creative ideas. Doesn't seem to care. Just says Mickey Mouse. That was that's basically it. So what I'm going to be doing until January first, I am going to be depicting different public domain characters as radio talk show hosts, and we're going to begin with Winnie the Pooh. So on my Facebook page, I have just posted an image of Winnie the Pooh as a radio talk show host. So if you want to share it, you can go ahead and do that. Um, hey, those of you that are holding, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame. Those of you that are holding, you're welcome to um, be heard first on that. Larry, Mike, and uh, Rocco, I'm sorry that we couldn't get to you. We'll put you to the front of the queue tomorrow. But um, you'll be heard for 15 seconds straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight. Great Andy B, uh, one of the great men that we and great listeners that we lost in 2023, unfortunately. Uh, but his work lives on with that particular theme song. I am actually not going to be here tomorrow. I did not expect to not be here tomorrow, but um, there are circumstances which I can't get into on the radio, which have uh, resulted in me not being here tomorrow, but I will be back on Friday. My understanding is that tomorrow you will be treated to Dominic Carter and Anthony Weiner. Uh, so that will happen tomorrow. Meantime, though, you still get your 15 seconds. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike! Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good. We've got about 10 well, seconds, I'm Mike. I'm about David and uh, the therapist. All right, uh, it's a fairly mundane matter having your parents not sign you in the world of child abuse. Get a life, David, please. You're estranged from your mother for that reason, and you had to tell us on the radio. Rocco. Happy holidays, Frank. Sarah, my heart bleeds for you. I love you. God loves you. Obviously, your daughter-in-law looks at you as competition for your son's attention and affection, so it's not you. Claudia, I'm looking for a New Year's Eve date. And Gnome, you... E. Frank. Yeah, uh, I think Mayor Adams can never forgive the brutal act of police brutality upon him. Frank, uh, I noticed you on the website. There's a scar that you have. Mike. Good morning, Frank. Or would you prefer being called skeptical or cynical? The other side without you is like getting a fruitcake or two on Christmas. Something I don't want or need. <laughs> All right. That slams the lid on things for today. I'll be back Friday, God willing. Frank Morano, good day.